One day there were these three guys, they were professionals, and they were sitting around and they were having a, a biblical discussion. And they were, they were talking about what the, um, what the oldest profession was. And one of the three was a doctor, and he said, well, the Bible says that God took a rib out of Adam to make woman, and so since that clearly required surgery, well, then the oldest profession is surely medicine. One of the other guys was an engineer, and he said, no, nah, not so fast, Sherlock. He said, the Bible also says that God created this world out of the void and out of chaos. So to do that, God must have surely been an engineer. So engineering is the oldest profession. Well, the guy rounding out the trio just happened to be a lawyer. And so he leaned forward and he smiled smugly and he said, yeah, but who do you think created all that chaos? Obviously, most of you haven't been involved with lawyers or... Just kidding, just kidding. We certainly live in chaotic times, and I'm not blaming lawyers, so don't go tell one on me. But the news of our world's economy is up and down like a yo-yo. Turmoil in Europe, the Middle East, and Asia crowds our headlines, and I think we'll all agree that the United States of America has never been more politically divided. And so our world around the world and our world at home is in chaos. And so my question for us today is, as much as our world is changing, what would happen, think about this, what would happen to our faith as a follower of Jesus Christ if this life that we know as Americans drastically changed? What would happen if you had to swap places with a believer in Indonesia or China? Do we have enough substance as an American believer that our faith would survive in a place where people are persecuted daily for their walk with Christ? You see, my fear is that here in America that we have bred a form of Christianity that, that is, for lack of a better term, weak. Because if you think about it, we are actually somewhat arrogant. We are certainly self-reliant on our own strength, and, and we're really not that dependent on God. And so if we were ever asked to live under the same pressures that some in other places of the world live under, do we have the spiritual guts in our walk with God to survive a time of testing? Now, I certainly don't know what the future holds, and I don't even claim to have all the answers. That's my sister's job. But there are some things that we can be certain of based on what God said in his word. And first of all, we need to be certain that the word of God is our bedrock of faith. And that means I should be less interested in these chaotic days in what man perceives God to be saying 
and more interested in what God has actually said in his word. So if that, with that in mind, if you would turn with me, Bibles, phones, whatever you use, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. And God says in his word, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unholy, unforgiving, slanders, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then the apostle Paul instructs us, from such people turn away. Well, then if you turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter, beginning at verse 3, we, we find Jesus and he's having a staff meeting with his disciples. And so they come to him and they say, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming? When will be the end of the age? So Jesus begins this dissertation and he instructs him and says, don't be deceived. Many are going to come saying that I am the Christ. The talk of war is going to be rampant. Nations will rise against nations. But, but don't worry because this isn't the end. But many natural disasters will happen, and this is going to be the beginning of sorrows. And Jesus tells them, you're going to face troubles and be hated and killed for my sake. People will turn against people. People will be deceived, and because lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, the love of many of my very elect will grow cold. But then notice, at the end of all the bad news, about the end of the age, about all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all the tribulation, Jesus then says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. I think that most of you, if not all of you, will agree that there's a lot of similarity between what Jesus described in the Apostle Paul's description of the last day and the culture in which we live today. Now, folks, if, if one word in this book is true, then it all has to be true. And if all of it's not true, then none of it's true. This isn't a buffet where you pick and choose what you want to put on your plate and use that to form the religion you live your life by. It's either yes or it's either no. And so God's Word tells us that perilous times are coming. God's Word, God's word warns us to watch the signs and to be aware in the day in which we live. We're instructed to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is roaming about like a roaring lion, and he would love to devour each and every one of us. And so the word to us today is that we need to get our house in order. We need to get our spirit man ready. We need to get every dimension of our life in line with this book because make no mistake, Jesus Christ is coming again, and he's coming again soon. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in this country or on this earth before that day comes, but our faith must be answered in the word of God. 
Now, when God's Word is the bedrock, bedrock of our faith, well, then we can rest in the fact that God is sovereign and He is in control no matter what comes. Now, there are, there are those who, in our world, in this current state of chaos, they wonder, well, where is God? Or they wonder, if there is a God, how could He let this, how could he let this happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Listen, folks, the Scripture is right on point because Scripture promises that there will be difficult times and even the strongest believers will be deceived and give up on their faith. The Bible says times will be tough. But I want you to know the book also says that in the middle of that storm, in the middle, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of that season, God will never relinquish his sovereignty and God never abandons the control over the lives of his kids. And I want you to know Jeremiah 29, 11 will be as true in the middle of calamity as it is in the middle of prosperity. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen. Friend, God is not going to abandon his plans for his people in times of difficulty. Ephesians chapter 111 makes this promise. He makes everything out according to his plan. And what that means is no matter what's going on in your life, God was not taken by surprise. He's not vacationing in Tahiti. He's not taking a nap. He's not taking his eye off of the sparrows or off you. He hasn't changed his mind about you just because this world has gone crazy. God has your ultimate interest at heart. So it doesn't matter what kind of fire, what kind of difficulty, what kind of tribulations, what kind of perilous times happen. God is sovereign and God is in control. Because you see, God promises in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 2, he says, I will go before you. He says, I will make crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of iron, cut through the bars of iron. I will give you treasures and riches that are stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord God who actually summons you by name before you are in your mother's womb. You know what that means? That means that I will never be the first person to step into my next moment. That means that God has already gone into my future. He's already searched out my tomorrow, and he's promised me that there is not a temptation that I must bear. There is not a tribulation that I must face that is too heavy for me to endure. That is our promise from God. So we rejoice in that fact. But then also you look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. And Jesus says, had the master of the house known what hour the thief would have come, he would have washed and not allowed his house to be broken into. In other words, there's going to be a day when this life as we know it is not going to be as we know it today. And let me tell you why. No nation, no nation has ever come to God in the throes of prosperity. Throughout history, when a nation is self-dependent, 
and is non-reliant on God, it will create its own form of religion, and it will turn away from Jehovah God. It happened to the Roman Empire. It happened in Europe, and it is happening in our own United States. But I want you to know that when people are taken out of their comfort zone, when trouble and tribulation hit and people begin to cry out and turn out to God, that's when he can move in their lives. So the world's chaos and our country's anti-God, I'm okay, you're okay, everything is beautiful in its own way attitude could be the very key that turns this nation back to God. And I believe another awakening could happen in the middle of this chaos if we as a church don't go running and hide in a cave somewhere because we're scared about tomorrow. Because, folks, people don't like to hear this, but the Bible says the wrath of God is coming upon this world. He's going to judge sin, and it is not going to be pretty. That is the reality in his word. And you see what's happened. Some have twisted and contorted the character of God in such a way that many in the church, they don't believe that God is going to judge sin. Oh, God is good. God is love. And all of that is true. But the reason that God is good is because God is just. And a just God must judge sin and unrighteousness. His actual justice demands that he deals with sin. Romans chapter 118 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What is the truth? That Jesus is the only way to heaven. I don't care what Oprah says, all gods, all roads do not lead to heaven. All gods don't lead you to the heavenly Father. We have become a society that suppresses the truth of Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. Now, on the surface, that sounds scary. But listen to me. The Word of God also says the wrath of God is never poured out on the children of God. You see, God's anger is reserved for the ungodly and the unrepentant, and it's never turned towards his kids. 1 John chapter 2, 2 says, G, talking, to, it's talking about Jesus here, it says, He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is just a big word that simply means wrath quencher. Jesus is our wrath quencher for our sins. And you see, that's because Psalms 85 and 10 says, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. See, you have Almighty God who on one side is righteous and said that no man can enter heaven with sin in his life. But then on the other side, you have the peace of God designed that no man should perish, but that all men should come to everlasting life. And so you have one side of the character of God that's of judgment, and you have the other side of the character of God that's of grace. And I can assure you, God is not schizophrenic. 
And so how do you reconcile both aspects of his character? We see mercy and truth and righteousness and peace. They came together at the cross. At the cross. That's where you reconcile the two sides of God's character. When people look at the cross, and they see judgment because God demands that sin be judged. But then people look at the cross and they see it as the picture of grace because it's at the cross where someone like me has a chance to understand and receive grace that allows me to have an eternity with God. So the cross is a representation of both the judgment of God and the grace of God. And it was at Calvary where the two aspects of God's nature came together because through Jesus dying on the cross, the wrath of God was quenched towards those of us who follow him. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. And it's the picture of the grace of God that my sin, which no doubt deserves the wrath of God, was put on Jesus who died for me. Now, hardships are going to come. The Word of God proves it. And it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. But I want you to know the wrath of God is not. Because the wrath of God on the people of God was settled at the cross. And here's something else. God has always given his people warnings all throughout the Scripture in order that we can be prepared when difficult days approach. It was Joseph in Genesis chapter 41 who was warned of difficult times, and he was able to listen to the voice of God through a dream and plan for the trouble that was to come. And out of grace, God warned his children. Then in Exodus chapter 12, the people of Israel had the warning that the death angel was coming. And they were told what to do so that their house would be passed over on that night. God sounded the alarm, and God's people had enough warning to get under the blood in order to save themselves from what God was about to do to Egypt. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know for thousands of years, we have had the warning through God's Word that difficult times are coming. This world is going to be shaken, and that simply means that I need to live every day like it was my last day. Because like I began with, began with, it's not what people are perceiving God to say. It is what God has already said in his word. Jesus said perilous times will come, and I am obligated to sound the alarm. If there was a wolf loose in this building, I would sound the alarm. If there was a tornado coming, the siren would go off. And I want you to know there are people sitting here on the fence, and I have to warn you that this is not a time for you to be playing footsies with the world. When God was getting ready to deliver the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt, I mean, how foolish, how foolish would it have been to be a Hebrew... And even though you had been warned that the death angel was coming, you ignored the warning. 
Oh, I know. I know Moses said that it was going to happen tonight, but, you know, I've heard that all my life. I've heard that, and, and it's never happened yet, and, and, and so I really don't believe it. There's really a good game on TV, and so I'm just going to go out and hang at the house of my Egyptian friend. You see, that's the mentality of a lot of church people today. Friend, I want you to know this is not some Hollywood epic. This is the Word of God. And while God is a loving and gracious God, His love and His grace has given us the insight to live our lives in a prepared way. It's His love that gives us the signs to know that we are living in a time that this world has never seen before, and we must live every day as if it is our last. We must be ready, be ready, be ready. Parting in the house of the Egyptian on the night of Passover and having a casual relationship with the world is not the best idea when you know that you should have your life under the blood of Jesus. Friend, it is time. It is time. It is time to stay close to the good shepherd. When I was little... I got saved because of fear. Every Sunday night, it seemed, my dad would preach about the Lord coming and that the fires of hell were going to come up and wrap their hands around my chubby little ankles and drag me into the pit of hell if I didn't get right with God. He preached it so hot one night, I was asleep down on the front row, and I don't know, I was dreaming or something, and I started saying, water, water, water. I was afraid of going to hell. But you know, a lot of people get saved because of being afraid of going to hell. But see, here's the problem with that. If people are saved by fear, that means every week I've got to turn the heat up to keep them saved by fear. But you see, I got lucky. I got lucky because I came into this thing by fear, but I wound up falling in love with this guy named Jesus. So why can't the church seize on this opportunity? While this world is afraid in the middle of gloom and despair and hopelessness, why can't we be a group of people who are walking upstream but with a joyful smile on our face? And when people are afraid, we don't need to try and come up with some quirky superhuman faith. It is okay to acknowledge the fact that our own life has been shaken and that these times are not easy for anyone. But we also need to acknowledge that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. There is a peace that has been given to us as believers that can help us walk in joy, and that joy can attract a sinful world to Jesus Christ. We can offer them grace. We can offer them God's love. We can offer them hope in the middle of despair. And I believe God is calling on his church to be the antidote for what is happening all around us. Because listen, if we can demonstrate God's love, his actual 
compassionate love. The love that he had when he saw us in our depths of sin, but yet offers us a way out. If they can see that love, then they too will fall in love with this God Jesus. But you see, if we don't get our own commitment settled in our heart, and if we don't have the Word of God as our foundation, the financial situations, the troubles of this life, the chaos of this world will shake us, and we won't be able to help anybody. Today, God is telling us to get our prayer life where it needs to be. God is telling us to get in the Word so that our opinions aren't swayed by what's going on around us. Don't leave your beliefs twisting in the wind. Build your life on this book. Get your heart pure. Get yourself where God wants you to be because whatever the next calamity is, this world is going to be shaken and this world is going to need somebody that has some answers. But I want you to know we have the answer of all answers. We have the plan of all plans, and his name is Emmanuel. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is our strong tower. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can someone praise him today? God has the answer to this world's dilemma. The question is, are we smart enough, and do we believe his word enough? to live our lives in the way that we should. That's natural. It's a natural human response to fear things we can't control. But fear left unchecked becomes a bridle by which Satan uses to control us. The Bible says the Lord didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, having a sound mind doesn't mean that we know everything that's going to happen. But we have a sound mind because of an unmerited trust in our God and His faithfulness. No one knows what tomorrow holds. But we do know because of what the Word of God says, there will be hardships. But we also know because of what the Word of God says that the favor and blessings of God are going to remain on His church and there's going to be a divine hand that rests upon His people so they can stand with a sound mind in a world that is consumed with fear. And that means that we are the ones who can offer hope in a season of hopelessness. Jesus, in the middle of the storm, will not only guide his people and comfort his church, but he will give us the boldness and the courage to serve others and point them to him. In Acts chapter 21, there was a prophet named Agabus. And he warned the apostle Paul not to go to Jerusalem as it would cost him his life. Well, the Apostle Paul received the word, but he went to Jerusalem anyway because Paul was compelled to do more than simply survive. Paul was compelled to serve. So, friend, we need to pray that God would strengthen our faith to such a degree that no matter what the risk, we are compelled 
to serve him. You see, there are Christians around this world that are persecuted and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And if that came to the land of the free and the home of the brave, would we be able to stand? You see, what concerns me is that this current generation really doesn't know true tribulation. We've experienced, this, experienced some sad things. We've experienced some tragedies, but, but we've never experienced real misfortune. Cataclysmic misfortune. And then on top of that, because we're Americans, because we are self-reliant, we think Uncle Sam will be able to fix it. No matter what happens. But according to the Word of God, the things that are going to unfold in this world, no government can fix. No solutions of man can solve. And our only hope is we must be secured to the Good Shepherd. And as long as His blood is over the doorpost of our heart, we are safely in the fold. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus is never more true than it is today. Now, you may not believe this, but I really didn't intend this to be a sermon of gloom. Because God's Word also says that God's children will be spared. Doesn't mean we may not have to face trouble, but God's children are going to be free from the wrath of God. But you see, that's why... Ephesians chapter 5.15 is so important. Because that scripture says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, Instead, instead of worldly ways, be filled with the Spirit. Friend, if there was ever a day, today is a day to be guided and directed by the Spirit of God. It's a day to be wise and to be careful how we walk because there is no doubt we live in evil days. And so we must be infused with a substance that will stand the test of this world. The old song, keep me true, Lord Jesus, keep me true every hour. Give me power to be true. This book says that tough times will come. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to have our hearts ready. This is not the day to have a casual relationship with the world. I worry about those who hear me every Sunday who are straddling the fence, having one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Today we have this watered-down version of Americana Christianity that says, I don't have to sell out to anything. We don't think we need to be called out. We don't think we need to be a peculiar people. 
We think we can do the things of the world, talk like the world, act like the world, but yet because we come to Sunday morning maybe a couple times a month and sit on a pew that everything is okay. And the picture in my mind is of a lot of church folks partying in the house of an Egyptian on the night of Passover. I'm afraid that there are so many people who know better, who know better, who know better, but are playing Russian roulette with their soul. But not only those of us who are inside the church, not living our lives as we should, there are so many others outside of the gate that we know that we need to reach. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? Was it just to save you? Was it just to save me? No, he came to seek and to save all lost lives. That is as simple as it gets, and we must make sure that we are ready. We must make sure our hearts are where they're supposed to be, and then we must go sound the alarm. So others will get ready. Listen, the last thing I want to do is try to motivate you by fear. Try to scare you to salvation. Because I know that when the fear wears off after Sunday, you'll just be back in the world on Monday. But you see, when I encountered a God who truly loved me, I took the time and made the effort to build a relationship with him. That's when I stayed. So today, if you are truly born again, I want you to know you can find peace in the reality that the wrath of God towards his children was settled at Calvary. Bow your heads with me, if you